Um, good morning, everyone. Thanks very much for joining us. It's uh, uh, Minrez's um, half-year results for 23. Um, I'm going to run you through uh, the performance of the business over the last um, six months. Um, then I'm going to talk a little bit about, uh, or a lot about, where the business is going over the next two to four years. Um, we'll talk about um, some of the innovation that we've got in the business, some of the opportunities we've got sitting out there. Um, Mark will join us uh, shortly for uh, a run-through on the financial results, and then when we get towards the end, we'll, um, we'll take in a few questions. So a few highlights, overview of the, uh, the first six months of the year. Uh, we've delivered a fairly decent result. It's been quite a strong result. Revenue is up 74%. Um, EBITDA, as you can see, is $939 million. Um, and we're going to declare a dividend, or we've declared a dividend of $1.20 a share. Um, traditionally, we've always targeted 20% uh, plus on uh, return on our invested capital. You'll notice there it's slid down a little um, over the last period. Um, the reason for that is that we're building a couple of significant projects out there. We're developing Mount Marion, and uh, we've started the build and um, committed a lot of capital on long lead items on uh, the Onslow Iron Project. So we're really, if you take them out on our operating assets, we're closer to 25% ROIC, and um, I have said in the past I'm aiming to get between 25 and heading towards 30, and when these newer projects come online, they will deliver that. So... Um, we, um, we're in, in good shape. We've had more than 16 years above 20% and um, we're going to grow it closer to 30. Mining services, um, we doubled the business from 19 to 22 and we're on track to probably do that again um, over the next two to two and a half years and that's basically driven by um, JV activity and um, a lot of uh, external projects that we're looking at, negotiating and talking to, so about two and a half years from now um, we're going to double that business again um, and as I said, look, there's a record number of, um, of inquiries we got out there that uh, um, not just in uh, Western Australia but um, around the world so we're looking at sort of expanding offshore. The iron ore business um, we signed um, FID in, uh, with our partners on the Onslow project um, with uh, Baowu, AMCI and POSCO so uh, a significant achievement, two and a half years in the making to get that I actually first started working on trying to develop that region in 2013 so it's been a labour of love um, Yilgin and Central Pilbara um, we've been focused up there on reducing costs and uh, product improvement and uh, the iron ore team have done an awfully good job on that uh, lithium business, um, as you would have read, we've signed finally. I mean, it's been, again, a long time in the making, but we've signed a, a binding um, agreement where we're restructuring the, the Albemarle joint venture in, uh, in Australia. Um, that's been over a year in the making, but an awful lot of work's gone into not just coming to an agreement, but also understanding how we're going to run that business going forward. So... Uh, we've got a lot of clarity around where that's heading over the next five to ten years. Um, we've also uh, we've in full production on, on both the trains up at Wadjina, so that's been uh, great. Um, we have got uh, Mount Marion um, in the upgrade phase, running a little late on that. I'll talk a bit later about that. And we've got uh, Gangfang working with uh, Minres on um, long-term tolling arrangements with uh, all the orders coming out of uh, Marion. Um, the energy, 
we are very focused on um, on developing that Perth Basin. We're doing definition and exploration drilling, or we're st trying to. Um, drill rigs have been fairly difficult to get. Uh, we've got um, majority shareholding in uh, Norwest Energy, and um, the uh, acceptances continue to uh, to roll in. Um, and we're developing renewable energy on all of our sites, and we're mainly focused on um, solar and uh, wind power to uh, try and um, eliminate diesel and make sure we're not connected to any coal-fired power. Um, people, people and safety, very, very focused, as always, um, on attracting and retaining the best people in the industry. Um, our safety results are in great shape. We're nearing 6,000 um, permanent employees and um, contractors on the payroll. The tripper is um, at an industry standard low. We've been there for quite some time. We work awfully hard to keep it there. Um, we drive that primarily through um, all of the in-house training that we do on our people from inception when they start um, right through to developing and with better skills and uh, better work practices. No long uh, lost time injuries, which is always pleasing uh, in our industry. There's been some tragedy around um, the mining industry of late, um, and that always brings home um, how important it is that uh, we get that absolutely right before we go and do anything. Um, as the business grows, the Minres culture is growing um, very strongly. As I said, over uh, almost 6,000 in the workforce. Retention on our people is just getting better and better. We're focused on development of our people across the board. A few examples, we currently got about 50 We've got 34 graduates, 16 trainees, and we're doing 12 trade upgrades. 34% of those people are what we call um, next gen. So that means that they've got a mum, dad, uncle, aunt um, working in the business. So they know the culture of the business and our retention rate on um, next gen people is um, quite outstanding. We've increased the participation of Torres Strait and Aboriginal people by 68% this financial year. Uh, proud of what we're doing there, but um, we've brought um, new systems and people in the business over the last 12 to 18 months, and uh, it's working well. I mean, we really have to get those numbers up and, and get way more integrated, but uh, working hard on that. Um, we've got a centralised in-house training centre now, um, and we're much faster and safer at getting our people onboarded and getting them on site and uh, we hope that we're going to improve those safety results through that. Um, we've got a great program running on uh, with our female staff, we call it the Inspire program and we're helping them grow into leadership roles. Um, we're starting to do the same with a lot of the young, uh, younger generation people. Um, we've just completed the first program on that recently and we've got a very good scholarship program running through Curtin University where we're bringing in uh, graduates, we're paying them um, a substantial amount of money per annum to keep them focused on their study and we're giving them work inside the business as much as they can handle. Um, we're intending to increase those participants over the next um, short period of time up to 15 a year. We've been doing about 10 um, but we're going to grow that and um, again um, a great partnership with a great university. We are also, or have been on a, on a journey to re redefine the, not just the workplace but the environment that we put our people in and it's all part of 
to grow the business, we need to get high-quality people and we need to keep them. To do that, we've got to do a lot more than just pay them well. We do pay well in the mining industry, but the younger generation that are coming along don't consider pay as the number one attraction in their, in their career. Um, they're very much into lifestyle and the environment they work in, culture. Um, they've got strong opinions out there, and we've got to make sure that we take notice of them because they're the future of the business and they're going to be running it one day. So we've got to be very focused on being able to shape it in that way. We've been in our new head office now for eight months. It's a unique experience. It's very different to what the rest of the, uh, the country is used to or the mining industry. We've created um, an incredibly uh, different work environment. Our retention's up. The productivity of our people is better than we expected. Uh, a few th facilities we have in here, we've got a creche, we've got a, um, a health centre that's now open and it's operated by um, some very good doctors and nurses that we've got working with us full time. We've got a large gym, um, over 700 members are using it now, in-house psychologists, full restaurant um, with uh, chefs, so we feed eight to 900 people a day and uh, they have the opportunity to take away, have takeaway meals um, for nighttime, coffee shop staffed by um, some great baristas. So um, we've got all the facilities in-house where we can pe bring the people into the into the facility in the morning. They stay in the in the facility all day. We have a lot of our clients and customers that want to come around here and have a cup of coffee in the coffee shop and talk about business. So all of that's working well. We're taking that out onto site because we want to really up the uh, the retention rate that we have out at our site. So. Our first experience is going to be a resort-style accommodation we're going to build on the Onslow project. Primarily, we're building rooms that are three times the size of the standard dongers that are out on, uh, on the site now. We're going to have double uh, capability in all the rooms, so queen-size bed, lounge, big screen TV, kitchenette, um, separate ensuite laundry, uh, balcony with a barbecue, so something quite different. It's really going to be um, something that's more uh, akin to an apartment. The other reason that we're looking at this and changing to this is we're looking to make sure that um, our people on site are safer and much more secure. We think that if we create this community type environment where there's a very large proportion of females that will be up there as um, boyfriend, girlfriend, a husband, wife or whatever, um, we're going to have a, a very different environment and we're going to build into um, into each of these um, communities. We're going to have Olympic sized pools, wellness centres, large gym, coffee shop, restaurants, so trying to create something that's much more normalised and then whenever we're near towns we're going to start building uh, homes so that we can encourage um, our staff to go up there with the families and live there full time. So um, 10 houses going into Onslow right now is a bit of a pilot program and if we fill them up we're going to continue to do that. So um, let's hope that that works. Um, sustainability. We as, as the whole mining industry committed to, uh, to getting to uh, decarbonisation 50% by 2035 and as we've said we're aiming to do better than that and net zero by 2050. Um, we really are in the hands of 
um, the outside world on being able to develop a clean green energy for us. I mean, when that's developed, like everyone else, we'll be able to use that. But in the meantime, we're doing everything we can to reduce our, our carbon footprint. So we continue to reduce our use um, per tonne of product produced of diesel. Um, we are looking at how we can transition completely away from diesel. So we, um, we've got gas as that transition fuel. We think that's going to play a major role. It's not the final solution. It's not the ideal solution but it's way better than coal and, and diesel. So I think gas is going to be around for um, some time. We are also um, we have a strong focus on regional communities. So wherever we can, we are making sure that we integrate with uh, any of the local communities, and we're very um, focused on the uh, traditional uh, owners that are out there. We've got extremely great relationships with them, and... Um, all of that's working uh, working well. A, a lot of effort's gone in around Onslow, the gas around Port Hedland, Perth Basin, on making sure that we really are engaged with the community and that we're going to provide benefits to the community um, and we're not going to be obtrusive in any way. Performance over the first half, I'll run through that very quickly. You've um, had a good look at it this morning. Mining services, we're slightly down uh, on... Uh, on EBITDA and on um, tons. Um, that's mainly because we've had a couple of contracts come to an end. We have recently had three new mining services contracted added back into that business, so we're sort of about net square. Um, we've got a very, very strong project, of, uh, a pipeline of projects, as I said, coming up. I'll go through those a bit later, so um, no concerns around where mining service is going. Iron ore, again, we're down a little bit on the volume, but the price has been much better than the, um, the uh, same period. So the um, price of iron ore has been uh, in, a, in a really decent place for a while now. Um, all of our sites are operational. Um, they're going reasonably well. Focus on optimization. Um, the Yulgarn, we've lifted the production down there slightly and to a sustainable level. We've really improved the product quality down there, so we're getting um, a bit better return um, per tonne. Um, in the central Pilbara, we've had a few issues up there with the uh, the Wanmana site. Uh, we've got a, uh, um, a transitional ore up there that's retaining the moisture, but um, we're fixing that over the next few months. And on slow iron, construction down there's commenced. Long lead items are out and uh, on order. Um, the big trans shippers are in the shipyard. In fact, one of them is only about three months away from rolling off, so uh, the only issue we've got up there again is the um, hangover from the, uh, the pandemic, from COVID. Um, everyone is short of people. The government agencies are short of people getting um, approvals done now. I'm going to say it's like somewhere between two and three times longer than it was three years ago. Um, not to say the government isn't doing everything they possibly can to help the project get underway. They are. Um, but just short of people, and uh, um, they've got a lot in front of them. So um, that project, we look like first all going on ship in about uh, somewhere around May or June of um, 24. So not overly happily with that, but we can't do a lot about it. Lithium performance has been fairly decent. 177,000 tonnes of spod shipped, so we're up on that. We are turning into a chemical producer, so in the half, 
11,284 tonnes of uh, hydroxide and 1,080 tonnes of carbonate, so grand total of 10.6 thousand tonnes um, that we've produced. And there's always a difference. We've got to be a little bit careful and point out there is a difference between um, tonnes that are, are mined, shipped, converted and sold. There's a, quite a, a long li lag on, uh, on all that timing. So, uh, but pretty proud. We're the first Australians to get into downstream production. Um, but as I said, the lead time um, for uh, ore coming out of the pit, turning into spot, and finally getting to its destination somewhere in China, Europe, or the Americas um, takes quite some time. So, uh, we're getting there with that. Mount Marion's been running pretty well, um, running at steady state. We're doubling the size of the plant down there, and we're doing that while the plant's running, so um, challenging. Um, the upgrade's probably running about three months behind. CapEx is fine. There's no change in, in the capital spend, but just the degree of difficulty, again, people, and uh, trying to make sure we've, uh, we're producing while, we, um, while we're uh, upgrading. We're also doing a couple of studies down there on dry stacking the tails and water recovery, so trying to be a lot more responsible on how we, um, we operate the mines. Wajana is going fine. Two trains are running. Train 3 is actually running, but we're using that as an R&D plant. We've got some different ore types up there um, that we're dealing with, and we've also got a lot of work around the pit to do on. Um, we've got a bit of a mountain to move before um, Train 3 can really come into full production. Um, we've commenced a study up there on... Uh, building somewhere around a hydroxide plant or somewhere between spot and hydroxide. Um, I've been very keen to be able to uh, bring that production back into Australia. Um, we've got a steady uh, second study running out there on um, building train four and, and it may be a bigger capacity train than the, the three we've got running but that's going well. Um, we've got the... the um, Binding agreement finalised, as I said, with Albemarle, and um, we've got them in the tent on uh, on both those studies, so they're going um, pretty well. On the energy, haven't done a lot um, in the Perth Basin over the last six months, been incredibly challenging with the drill rigs. We've got one heading for there now. Um, Carnarvon Basin, um, again, not a lot done. Highly prospective region. We've got uh, about 500 k's of seismic reprocessing that we've done and uh, we're having a look at where we're going to put our first drill holes down up there so uh, uh, we expect to do two of those in 2024 and we're also starting to look very closely on um, geothermal and we've started exploration work um, in that region. We've got about, uh, to give you a, an idea of size, we're uh, the largest landholder in the Canning Basin in joint venture with Buru Energy um, they have a 25% shareholding. We've got about 17,500 square kilometres. And again, we're the largest landholder in the Perth Basin, um, which a lot say is the most prospective um, land in, uh, well, for uh, gas in Australia. We've got about 5,300 square kilometres up there. So it's sort of a bit of a rundown on where we're at on the, uh, the first half. Uh, Mark's going to run you through the financials, and then I'll come back and uh, tell you where the business is sort of heading over the next two to four years. Thank you. Thanks, Chris, and good morning, everyone.
I'm Mark Wilson. It's a pleasure to be here with you this morning to walk you through the first half results for MinRes for FY23. As Chris has mentioned, we've had a strong and stable start to the year. I believe the performance in the first half demonstrates the robustness, yet again, of the business model that we employ. Our balance sheet remains healthy and we're in good shape to support the growth that we have in front of us. In terms of the underlying profit and loss, first half has seen us deliver a record first half revenue of $2.35 billion. Underlying EBITDA of $939 million is our second best first half result. Lithium's been our strongest contributor in the period, almost three, well, just over three quarters of a billion dollars at $756 million. Through the half, we've accelerated our amortisation on our iron ore projects. That's driven the, the increase in depreciation and amortisation that you see there. Our underlying net profit after tax coming in for $387 million. And as Chris said, the board has declared a fully franked dividend, interim dividend of $1.20. The next page shows the movement in performance on the prior corresponding period. The big story here is lithium. Lithium in that prior period was $61 million contributor, up almost $700 million. Um, you see there the real benefits of the move to the integrated production that Chris referenced. Costs in the first half generally across the board, consistent with the rest of the industry, uh, we're seeing that in labour, we're seeing that in plant. Uh, pretty much every category is under pressure to some extent. We've also seen some increased costs at Marianne as we've opened up some new mining areas. Uh, the external contracts have a rise and fall mechanism in them to protect them against costs escalation, but typically have a lag, sometimes six months, often 12 months. So we haven't yet seen the benefits of that rise and fall protection kick in. Overall, we're sitting, we're maintaining our full cost, sorry, full year cost guidance. So, in terms of the cash flow, the story here is in the increase in working capital that's supporting the growth in the um, lithium business to an integrated producer. 380 million. I've got more detail on the next slide to walk you through on that. Uh, you'll also see increase in capex there. That's driven largely by the spend in Onslow as we build out the growth story for the next 30 to 50 years. In terms of the moving, sorry, the movement in working capital on the following slide, you can see receivables increased by over 400 million. The lithium receivables are to Gang, Gangfeng and uh, Albemarle from them. So just those two parties, again, driven by this move to integrated production. Iron ore receivable increase is largely driven by the higher price um, achieved for the commodity. In terms of the timetable for our conversion and working capital, we've tried to set this out to help investors understand how we um, how and when we recognise revenue in cash for our lithium operations. You can see from this that the 
the timing to receive all the cash from our conversion of, or production of spodumene can be up to six months, four to six months, depending on the on the project. And the first half has seen an, Im, uh, um, I guess, an increased impact from Wajina as we've ramped up from from nothing and built those inventory and, and receivable balances up. In terms of the capital expenditure on the uh, following slide, you can see it's pretty much running in line with where we were 12 months ago. The only real difference is the, um, the spend in the half on Onslow. As Chris said, early, early items, long lead items, really see that ramp up in the second half. In terms of the balance sheet, Balance sheet remains very healthy. We've got cash and undrawn facilities sitting at over $2 billion. Um, just to put a little bit of context to this, three years ago the capital employed in the business was $1.9 billion. It's now almost $5 billion. Um, shows the growth in the balance sheet over that period. As Chris said, we are absolutely committed to driving returns on invested capital well in excess of 20%. Nothing has changed in that respect. We expect to continue to do that into the future. This business has had a very successful history over 30 years of allocating capital efficiency and that's not changing now. In terms of the net debt waterfall on the next slide, net debt sitting at 1.4 billion. Nine, nine months ago we had very strong support from the, uh, from the bond market, the debt market. We've brought net debt back below one times EBITDA. It's sitting at 0.8. And gross debt is now sitting below two, two times at 1.7. So happy with that positioning. Interest coverage remains very strong. There's more, more detail in the back of the deck on the credit metrics. Next slide, I just wanted to show the impact of the shift in the business, as Chris described, to, to this integrated lithium production. You can see in those two charts just how important that is for us and, and will be going forward. Um, it's had a, a material impact on uh, the diversification of the, of the earnings. In terms of the CapEx guidance for FY23, we've increased it by about 300 million from where we were in August. That's largely off the announcement yesterday around Albemarle and the restructure of the Australian arrangements. So we've added in about half a billion dollars there for that initial um, amount that was outlined in that announcement, US 350. We've pulled back Onslow a couple of hundred million just because of the, um, the delays with approvals and so on that Chris was referencing earlier. Overall guidance um, for the business remains unchanged for the full year. Over this period we've gained more visibility as, again as a result of the announcement yesterday around the outlook for our lithium battery chemicals business. So for the first time we've provided some guidance on production and um, sales for that part of the business. But pleasingly, as I said, for the full year we're expecting to be where we thought we were going to be uh, in August. Before I hand back to Chris, we're just going to play a short video for you. Thanks.
Okay, um, I hope you enjoyed that little um, little movie. It often gives you um, a really realistic view of what we're actually doing on site. We're uh, we're trying to do that more and more so that our shareholders can can actually see um, the size and the, the quality of the operations that we're running. But uh, look, Mark, thanks for the the financials. Let me just run you through where we're sort of heading in the second half and then where we're going over the next two to four years is sort of fairly important. Um, I don't know why, but for some reason our second half is always better than the first and uh, this year is going to be no different. Um, the second half will be substantially better than the first. Over the last six or so months, um, the business has been incredibly busy. We've been out there doing a whole lot of different things, but... I mean, look, in essence, we've put some stuff together. We think we've set the business up with 20 to 50-year um, contracts and operations and deposits, and um, and we're going down a pathway um, now where we're the foundation's in place so that you know, 50 years from now the business is still going to be around and it'll still be growing. So just a few of these achievements, just to give you a, a bit of a snapshot of what we've done. Of course, we've got the, um, the onslow... Um, iron business developed it's nothing um, to take lightly it's, it's a 35 million ton operation on uh, day one um, it's got billions of tons in that region so you've sort of got the regions in the Pilbara you've got the, the top of the Pilbara where BHB and FMG operate in Roy Hill um, in the middle um, it's sort of owned by Hammersley Iron Rio Tinto um, below that this region's always been um, locked up um, it's been difficult to um, get the right infrastructure in it, but um, quite an achievement. I'll talk a bit more about that later. Um, we have restructured the lithium business, both with um, Albemarle and Gangfang, and uh, we've got a fairly good lock on where that's heading now over the next 10 to 20 years, um, and the plans around how we can uh, how we can grow that um, in a sensible way. We've moved from being a spod producer now out to being a battery chemicals business um, in our lithium. Um, we are a primary, um, primarily producing hydroxide and we'll be doing some carbonate, but the intention going forward is that we want to get the, um, the upstream value of being able to convert all our, um, our spod now into uh, a chemical. And we're going to look at um, the most efficient um, and uh, the, way, the, uh, the opportunities that give us the best return going forward. We've sort of well advanced on doing that. Um, we're very shortly... In the next days or week or so, we're going to make application to the uh, the Chinese government um, to buy a 50% share in uh, two hydroxide plants. Um, we're doubling production at Mount Marion. We're growing um, our mining services business rapidly. We're doing that through transshippers. We've got five of them under construction. Um, we are looking, incidentally, at being able to take these transshippers offshore to other areas where we've got a lot of interest. We've developed the big jumbo road trains. Um, it had been quite an innovative move. We're moving closer now to um, the cost of rail um, on these um, these big trucks. We're moving 340-ton payload um, with a single prime mover and doing it incredibly safely um, and looking very shortly to have those um, driverless. We're exploring a couple of large offshore opportunities um, and we're basically down to negotiating terms on those. So. Um, many, many years ago we were offshore Africa, um, did some operations over there, but we've always been uh, pretty much WA-based, but we're going to change that. 
uh, we've consolidated our JV with um, Hancock um, on building the Cape Carrier berth up in Port Hedland and doing all the work around getting that developed and uh, we have developed um, substanti substantial plans around where we're heading in the Perth Basin um, that's important to us it's going to become a significant pillar in our business moving forward and it's going to give us a lot of opportunity in, in downstream so so the foundations for going forward, the next chapter we've moved from mining services contractor through to an upstream miner um, and now we're looking to go into a downstream supplier which is quite a significant change but it's an evolution and um, giving the business um, much more stability, much more longer term uh, in terms of our projects and our operations and much more predictable on um, the margins and the, and the revenue that we can make. As I said we're exploring um, options outside of WA and offshore for all the business pillars except the uh, gas and uh, we are uh, in some areas where we're under negotiation. Mining services, very important to the business, um, it's, it is the foundation of MinRes, it provides um, the, the de design, development, the engineering, the construction um, of um, um, all of our plants with um, both um, our mining services and with our joint venture partners. Um, they're incredibly innovative, they've got proprietary products out there and we're taking some of those um, products um, to the international market. Iron ore, we're committed to iron ore, it's got strong fu fundamentals, it's, we're focused on long term low cost um, operations and we're looking at diversifying our products and markets and reducing supply chain costs and we're doing that in a range of different ways. Um, Onslow Iron, it's an impressive project um, but again it wouldn't have happened without the innovation of our, um, our uh, products that uh, mainly on the haulage, the haulage from uh, mine site into the coast. The project wouldn't support heavy haul rail and again um, the transshippers from um, the uh, coast offshore to the Cape Carriers and again the project would not support um, digging a trench and, uh, and building Cape Carrier type berths so um, a, a lot of good things happening in that. Um, lithium as I said we've restructured the whole of the Australian business we're expanding as a fully integrated battery chemicals producer um, and we're supply, uh, looking at more supply chain um, value and we're starting discussions with OEMs, that's where we think we, we need to be um, in the energy, um, a lot of work to do around that. It's going to be an enabler for us to reduce our carbon footprint and uh, a big part of the energy business is working on how we can develop wind, solar and cleaner, greener fuels. So that's uh, um, a lot of people in-house dedicated to trying to make sure that um, we achieve or in fact we better the targets that we've set out. I'll just give you a little bit of detail around each of the business pillars. So as I said the heartbeat of MinRes is the, uh, the mining services. They're the largest contractor in the world when it comes to crushing and they're one of the very large leading mining services um, contractors and they're doing that on the back of being able to provide innovative services to customers um, low cost consistent on production and, uh, and a very, very safe contractor. In many cases um, we run safer, uh, sorry, we run better safety results than, uh, than our clients but 
We have the ability to do that because we are a diversified business and we can move them through our mining operations into our mining services with um, a whole portfolio of, um, of training that we build around them. We're running about 2,500 people in the, in the workforce in the mining services. That's probably going to grow by about another 500 um, during the course of this year. Um, and, and in doing that, as I said, a lot of the uh, proprietary equipment now, uh, we're reducing the, the head count on it, both on the trucks and on the big um, next-gen um, crushing plants. And, and eventually they will be um, run by remote control. Um, we're one of the few organisations left in, in the world that can actually go out and design and build a, uh, a plant on, on a fixed lump sum. Um, we do all of that in-house and uh, that gives us a huge amount of uh, flexibility. Um, and it's a significant cost advantage to, uh, to all our partners and clients when we can, uh, we can do that. So um, although in saying that um, we're not exactly where we'd like to be on, uh, on uh, Mount Marion, but uh, I think others are in uh, far worse shape. We've got great long-term 20, 25-year relationships with a lot of our, um, our Tier 1 um, clients out there, so huge amount of trust um, placed in us. And we've got, with the innovation we have now, we've got the capability of moving stranded tons that others can't do. So we can dig them, crush them, um, we can haul them at a fairly low cost, um, and we can even put them on um, our customers' ships in, in remote locations. So the economic benefits that we're delivering to our JV partners and our, our customers is a big part of the reason why we always have um, fairly good growth behind us. The um, crushing business, they ex in, in, intend to install um, new next-gen three crushing plants, so this is the latest innovation. Again, um, going into Marion now and and uh, not too far down the track, we'll be putting them into Onslow Iron, uh, and we expect to put probably another three to five of those away over the next two years. We've got 42 of the big jumbo road trains out there operating, and that's a mixture of outside clients and um, on our own ore bodies. We will add about an extra 170 of those to the fleet over the next 18 months. Um, five transshippers, as I said, are under construction. They'll be coming into Onslow. Um, the first one of those is not that far away. So a lot of those contracts that we're entering into now, they're 20 to 40 year type contracts. So it gives us a lot of stability and uh, we can predict where we're going and, and make sure that uh, we've got everything um, in terms of maintenance and planning and uh, budgeting um, much easier. So, and as I said, they're pursuing some uh, some offshore opportunities. So we'll let uh, let everyone know if, uh, when that happens. Iron ore business, um, as I said, we're committed to the iron ore. Strong fundamentals on uh, iron ore. The largest mining companies in the world um, use iron ore as their staple. They've been in it for decades. Um, it produces a very positive. Um, um, outcome every year if you've got the right deposit and you can get it on board a ship at the right cost. And that's where we're heading with, uh, with Onslow and other projects. So traditionally, though, the price of iron ore, I mean, over the last couple of decades, it's incrementally grown. We've, we've seen some, um, um, some incredibly high prices and some ridiculously low prices, but it feels like we're getting much more stable where we're sitting. The, um, globally, the mines are um, they're getting 
further away from their infrastructure, their costs are going up, the grades are slightly declining. So we think there's good support for iron ore at around about 120 a tonne. Um, we think there's very strong support with that, but you know it's unpredictable as we all know. No one knows exactly where it's going. So we're transitioning our iron ore business into a long life, low cost um, operations. Um, the key projects that we got in front of us, we think will take us to about 90 million tonne run rate Onslow, um, which I spoke about, Yilgarn. We're improving the quality down there and we're also looking at being able to uh, do magnetite down in that region. We've got an awful lot in the ground and we're doing a lot of test work around that. The Pilbara Hub, we are working up there very closely with Hancock in a joint venture where we've got uh, a Cape Carrier berth in the inner harbour of Port Hedland and then the central Pilbara. Um, it's running at a steady state, smaller, higher cost operations, um, not sustainable over the long term. And, uh, and the Iron Valley um, deposit has always been challenging. It, it's had a number of lives, but we seem to be able to keep that going. Um, it does need a fair amount of capital thrown at it, not too far down the track. So that'll be something we'll be looking at closely. Just a bit of an overview on Onslow. Um, FID approval from all the partners in uh, August. MinRes is going to fund the project, design it, construct it and operate it and uh, the, par the uh, partner's share of that funding will come back to us when the mine's in operation so most of their income will come to us until that's repaid. We're developing a great supply chain in that Ashburton region down through to the Onslow port where it's unlocking billions of tonnes of stranded iron ore. The Red Hill assets alone up there give us at least 30 years um, run rate at about 35 million tonne a year um, and the FOB cost means that it's very profitable through all the cycles we've seen over the last 15 years so a great project only made possible through the innovation that come out of uh, the CSI business with the next gen crushers um, low cost um, and um, they'll have a 40 million tonne plant and they're doing 35 million tonne the big jumbo road trains gets it down to the port at a very low cost. Um, they're low uh, and the uh, trans shippers low draft so they can come in close to the shore. We've pretty much finished the dredging up there and we're about to start that um, the trans shipping berth. Um, so all of that's going well. It's probably the first commodity project in Australia that's been designed from day one to be totally dust free so the iron ore won't see the light of day from when it goes in the big jumbos 150k's out until it's going into the Cape Carriers 22 miles offshore so we've been very mindful to make sure that we keep Onslow and that whole region pristine and we've engaged with all of the farmers up there, the communities up there to make sure we've got everything um, as it should. The, uh, the, the private hall road that we're building there'll be zero interaction between our trucks and any other um, traffic whatsoever. Um, and that hall road will be fenced um, both sides to make sure that we don't have any of the um, the local community stock wandering onto the onto the roads, which is really important to get that relationship. So early works are commenced. We're finalising approvals. First ore is expected around um, May June of 24. Now, capex is unchanged. Um, we're fairly locked on uh, on the uh, the three billion um, that we'll spend. So no surprises coming from that. Um, Energy market, gas um, and the energy business in MinRes. About seven years ago we, um, we identified the need to have 
um, some long life gas in the business so that we could fix the costs of uh, what we're doing. We think we can provide gas into the MinRes business um, for about a dollar to a dollar twenty a gigajoule, and then above that, whatever the cost is of transporting it. So, you know, two dollars a gigajoule would probably be what we can do, and we can do that for the next 20, 30 years out. So, huge opportunities for us. Um, it's as I said, we see it as a transitional fuel. It's not the it's not the final answer, but it'll um, it'll get our carbon down. And we've got a lot of work to do on that Perth base. Over the next three to five years, we're going to be drilling a lot of both exploration and development holes. So, quite a few um, highly prospective areas up there. We do expect to hit quite a bit more gas. We expect to bring the the Red Gully plant back online over the next couple of years as well. So. Um, the ultimate aim for up there, I think it'll be a help with WA because they're predicting that there's going to be um, a little bit of a gas shortage in a few years ahead, and I think we can help fill that hole. But I think ultimately uh, where we're looking for is those, again, the 30-year-plus operations. So we'll be looking at the lithium chemicals business so we can provide energy for that. Iron ore palletization, um, again, to make our iron ore product cleaner and greener. Um, and better for the blast furnaces, particularly around um, magnetite. Um, other products like ammonia um, and urea, we can be um, the lowest cost producers in the world simply because we've got gas on shore about 400 k's north of Perth. So it will be, I mean, uh, it'll be a major part of the business going forward, and um, we're fairly focused on that. We've got an offer um, out in the market at the moment with uh, a takeover for the um, Norwest Energy. Um, we're at about 63% of that so far, and uh, I would encourage the shareholders that are out there to, um, to have a, a long, serious look. We'll probably be um, taking over the board very shortly, um, but we encourage everyone to have a look. If we can get beyond 80%, that means that um, all of the Norwest Energy shareholders get rollover relief. Um, so, in other words, no tax to be paid, and they can be part of that same project going forward. They're not giving it away; they're actually adding the rest of the the other 80% of the of that gas field to their portfolio. Plus, where we're going in lithium, iron ore, and mining services. So, um, the past couple of times we've done this, um, the shareholders have got great benefits out of it. So, look, I really encourage us to have a look and and get on board with that. I mean, when I first got involved with um, a company out there called Empire Oil, um, which was where we got most of our land from, um, the, the value of Northwest Energy, their market cap is about $13.5 million. Um, a junior company, as was Empire, not a lot of money had been spent on putting drill holes to the right depth and, and doing the right research, it did need some money and needed a balance sheet to make that happen, but um, for all those out there that are a little negative around MinRes, I have taken your, your market cap from 13.5 to about 450 mils, so um, not a bad start. If we join together, we can do much better. Um, lithium portfolio. It's a, it's a monster business we've got with uh, lithium. We're, we've got um, world scale on what we're doing, um, high quality. So um, our deposits, both 
operating. Um, we're in a tier one jurisdiction, probably the best jurisdiction in the world. Mount Marion, tier one asset, 50-50 JV with Gang Fang. Uh, Minres, designed, built and operated. Um, upgrades, as I said, are underway down there. We first built it in 2016 and uh, got it to 450,000 tonnes. We're taking it up to 900 now and that should start commissioning um, in April. Lots of exploration potential down there. There's about 80% of our land holding all around the mine that's simply been unexplored. We drilled um, sufficient out to, uh, to create a mine and we haven't done too much drilling since, so we'll be thinking about doing that. Um, we've we've got, had some drill rigs down there in recent times. We've got three good target areas down there and we've got some very good early results for pegmatite extensions. Um, so we're going to get more serious on that um, and just see if we can have a look at uh, bringing some other areas online and seeing if we can get a better balance on the strip ratio. Wadjin are one of the world's largest, um, if not the largest. 50-50 between Albemarle and Minres, another great partner. Um, the pit up there is open in all directions and at depth. I mean, again, it was 100% Minres owned and we drilled it um, substantially um, until we had um, as much ore as I needed for my lifetime. But um, look, there's certainly a lot more to be had up there and I think we're going to probably do some drilling up there, not this year, probably next year and just see how much deeper it goes and how better the grade gets. Um, Two trains up there in operation. The third one's actually operating, but we're using it um, for a lot of test work around transitional ore. Um, some lipidolites that we got up there, we're doing test work on that. Um, we've got another fleet of mining equipment that's gone into Wajana, and we've got um, a mountain of rock to move so that we can get um, at the ore body and make it um, um, sufficient so that we can um, feed that third train so that'll happen towards the back end of this year. And, of course, we've got a couple of studies underway up there. We're looking at uh, what we can build up there for downstream processing. And uh, we've got another one running on the fourth, getting near completion. Um, spot conversion in the business. So we've got a life of mine conversion agreement with Albemarle. Um, and that's for the four trains coming out of um, Wadjana. Separately to that, as I said earlier, we're making application to the Chinese government to see if we can buy a 50% share on those two plants. So they've got a 50,000 tonne plant, a Mijon plant they call it, under construction. Um, it's probably half built. They've gone very well on, on the construction on that and they're pretty much on time and on budget. Um, and they've got, uh, we've got a second application in to buy another plant they've got in Guangzhou and it's an operating plant. They bought that last year. It's operating. They're putting green bushes dirt through that and um, we hope, hopefully we'll get the approval of the, the Chinese government. We need to do that because um, we need to be quite early to market with our, our hydroxide. That's the best way of getting there. But as I said earlier, we're very keen to do development in Australia, um, and uh, I think that um, it's doable. Kimmelton, um, two 25,000 tonne trains down there. Train one's in operation. It's almost qualified. Uh, that we're hoping that um, we're going to get some good product coming out of there in the next month or two and, and train twos um, in commissioning phase. So um, Kemerton going fairly well. I mean, Albemarle have made a few comments in their release last week where they've had some issues down there with labour and the like, but um, we're slowly overcoming that. The, the Marble Agreement, 
marble of course is that what uh, we we call the Albemarle joint venture would name that marble um, it owns the Australian assets we signed off on that binding agreement uh, on Wednesday um, been quite a long time in the making but um, around doing those documents I think 57 in total uh, around doing that we're also figuring out how we're going to run the business and develop it over the next 10 to 20 years and we've pretty much got a good handle on that uh, most of that agreement's backdated to 1st of April 22 and it's also subject to regulatory approvals in Australia so we need uh, FIRB and Mines Department approvals to, uh, to get that totally binding um, once that happens we will pass them over a cheque um, and I think we've published all the money that goes back and forward and uh, then we'll be fully engaged with them and um, that'll be our share of making sure we're locking in the, uh, the hydroxide production. Um, Kemerton, we've reduced our shareholding down at Kemerton from 40 down to 15% and I think the reason we've done that this deal this way is that I think we're now really well aligned. The um, not a lot of margin for MinRes coming out of Kemerton because we have to buy the uh, product out of green bushes um, but a great um, great story for Albemarle um, in the opposite for us up at Wajina so a much more balanced deal um, and we're running Wajina uh, that's our core business being able to mine and process and operate um, and Albemarle take care of the chemical side again their core business so that's going well we've also taken back the, the marketing um, it's going to be a first for MinRes marketing um, this style of product um, but we've had many firsts in our career over the last 30 years so uh, not something that's going to be difficult for us to figure out. We're converting all of our SPOD to hydroxide with a bit of it um, will be carbonate um, and we have no product that's locked into any contracts so we've got no legacy contracts and we've got no forward contracts whatsoever so um, quite a unique position to be in. Um, we're going to be having discussions with a whole range of um, buyers out there, um, OEMs mainly. Um, and we'll, uh, yeah, look, I'm sure you've got a few questions around uh, how we're going to deal with that. Total capex for offshore for us is about about 650 million US. So. Um, not a lot of money in the overall scheme of things for the um, the conversion that we're going to get. Um, this slide here shows you a little bit of a uh, an overview of the unique market position that we're sitting in. Um, we've got world-leading partnerships with two JV partners in Gangfang and uh, Albemarle, both very strong and, and just simply been um, great partners to have. We're now developing that marketing um, strategy. Our focus, as I said, is going to be on the OEMs. Um, we've got exposure to three of the world's best lithium mines. Um, they're all operational and they're proven. Um, they're all WA based. So WA, probably, I've said this often, it's probably recognised the most ethical mining region in the world. I mean, we are right at the top of the charts in terms of um, how we look after our people, how we make sure that they're safe, how we care about the environment um, and the relationships we have with communities so I mean we're in, in a very good position um, we're going to be very focused on being able to maximize our chemical conversion going forward that's the way that the business will grow um, and we're going to get um, some 
fairly decent long-term JV partners um, locked in with us um, on buying. So next three months we're going to be busy um, talking to uh, people around the globe on, uh, on how to deal with it. The demand for the product incredibly um, high. Um, we struggle to see how, um, as do the other producers and our partners, how supply is going to keep up with demand. I mean, it's been struggling for some time. Um, I think that they're still trying to figure out how many electric cars they're going to make year on year. Not all the car manufacturers have come out with that, but with a couple that we have been talking to um, are well advanced in where they're heading and they know how much product they need and they, they know that it's going to be incredibly difficult for everyone to get the quantity they need. So... I think mo most of the serious demand out there, and I'm not talking about, um, I'm not talking about uh, some of the analysts coming out with comments. I'm talking about the, the institutions that understand how many tons are needed to make the batteries for the cars. Um, there is just not enough um, on the planet, and I, I think everyone under underestimates too the time it takes to get um, one of these operations running. I mean, for us to get Wajana two trains running and then get the third you know that third one it's sort of an 18 month project and the lead times are getting longer to turn the fourth train on is probably from when we hit the button it's probably a couple of years to make that happen and you've got the long lead time on um, hydroxide so there's a lot of time and work in getting the approvals now um, on just on these operating mines so uh, you go into new regions to open up the new mines it's going to be incredibly difficult but not impossible so I mean we're yet to get a clear picture on the demand we think that probably what I'm understanding is that um, most countries are going to be looking at um, having no new, uh, no new combustion engines on the road after 2035 so you know you sort of get a bit of a picture on by 2030 how many of the, uh, the new cars coming into production need to be electric um, Stationary battery power storage is becoming much more important. It's becoming quite a big story, and there's quite a lot of demand around for that. So, and I think a lot of the um, the OEMs and the battery manufacturers are really starting to think about putting capital back into mines. They're talking about it more. We're seeing them joining up with the, the miners, and I, and I think for them to spend the billions they have to, to commit to a factory. Um, to build cars, they need to have a guaranteed supply, so um, we'll be directly engaged with uh, the OEMs. Um, transition into the integrated lithium chemicals producer. We're on track, I think, within about four years to produce about 120,000 tonnes of hydroxide. Um, the first half of uh, this year, we've done 11,000 tonnes. We look like doing 19, so that takes up to 30,000 tonne this financial year. Um, we'll keep growing that year on year as we move forward, obviously. Um, we want to build downstream capacity in the Pilbara, as I've said. We're working hard on that, and we're going to continue to look for um, other deposits um, internationally and, and in Australia. I mean, we're looking at uh, a number of different regions where we've got pegmatites and um, we're going to grow our, uh, our reserves and resources. Um, we are having good discussions with state and federal government 
um, and they are very supportive of us building in, in Australia. Um, we're just seeing if we can get them to come up to close to some of the tax breaks and the financial um, investments that um, other countries are willing to make. We need a, if we can get our government to come across with some more benefits to help us to convince our JV partners um, to get involved, we'll have a much better shot at um, getting um, plants built here. Um, look, I'm going to close now. I think it's sort of enough. I think I've gone on for long enough. But, but we've delivered a, a good first result. The second one's going to be um, better. Um, there's a lot of effort underway to set us up over the next 20 to 50 years. We're building some of that now. We're getting approval for some of it. Um, but we've got all the foundations that we need. And um, we're going to expand into a fully integrated battery chemicals company. And we've locked in substantial growth in our business, all of our businesses. And we've got a good um, plan on where we're heading over the next sort of two to five years. So we've got great tier one assets. We're in the best tier one mining jurisdiction in the world. We've got great partners. Um, and we've got and getting really high quality people on board in the business. So um, our track record has been strong so far. And uh, as we get a better balance sheet and the company grows, we get better and better. So. I'll wind up with that, and uh, if anyone out there has got any questions for Mark and I, would um, would welcome them. A reminder to ask a question via the phone. You will need to press the star key, followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. If you wish to ask a question via the webcast, please type your question into the ask a question box. For those in the room, we have a microphone. Please raise your hand and wait for the microphone before asking your question. When asking a question, please state your name and affiliation. As a courtesy to others, please limit yourself to two questions at a time. And if you have further questions, you're more than welcome to rejoin the queue to ask further questions. Your first phone question today comes from Paul Young with Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Thanks. Hi, Chris. Hi, Mark. I hope you're well. Um, first point is on the, the Admar JV. Well done for, for getting it done. You got there in the end, and it actually appears very value creative in the spreadsheet, so well done. Um, first question, Chris, is on the timing of the, the switch from the, the current more expensive toll treading arrangement and, and feeding the Wajina concentrate into the, the Almar facilities. Um, just two points on that. Um, with Qingzhou, um, does Wajina concentrate feed in as Camerton ramps up? And then on the commissioning of Meishan, what is, the, what is actually the timing of the commissioning and ramp up of, of Meishan? Thanks. Yeah, look, Meishan, um, Paul, yeah, thanks for that and, and welcome. Um, Meishan is around mid-24 and they're, ex they're expecting that to ramp up quite well. I mean, um, it's pretty much a copy over of, of what they've got over there um, and they've got a stable workforce over there. Um, Quinjan, the one that we, we actually call Saturn, um, it's much easier to pronounce. So that one's operating now. It's taking... Um, um, Greenbush is dirt. Um, it needs work done to take Wajina dirt, so we're going over to flotation-style dirt. So it's about a year in getting the long lead items and uh, getting all that done. So they'll continue to run that um, until they um, convert that over to Wajina. Um, and in the meantime, all the Wajina dirt, they're putting arrangements, and they have a lot of arrangements in place over there for, for toll treaters. So most of the Wajina dirt is going to go out to third parties until we get those sort of two plants running. But they have the capacity to do that. 
and uh, we've got an arrangement with them where that's their skill and expertise. We, we just send the dirt um, and they'll convert it. We do get in the, um, the satin plant, once we um, write the check for the uh, conversion, for them doing conversions, we do then share in the benefits of that satin plant. So that should, th and yep. that, that'll happen um, immediately after getting um, um, approvals here from the Australian government and, and the mines department for this transaction, the Australian transaction to happen, which I don't know how long that'll be, but um, it should be fairly straightforward. Thank you. Your next phone question comes from Hayden Bairstow with Macquarie. Please go ahead. Yeah, morning, Chris and Mark. Um, yeah, just echoing Yanni's comments, I think we're going to get that Albemarle deal done, done finally. Um, just interested to understand a couple of things. Firstly, growing the listing business from here, is it likely that that JV and the Gampeng JV will be how you try and structure the business, or do you see you know, yourselves going out and, and, and trying to find other assets to, to continue to grow uh, this business more medium term? And then the second one's just on you know, Wajner and potentially building downstream in Australia. I mean, obviously, this, this deal you've just done with Albemarle, the capacity cost is half of what it's cost other players in Australia to build capacity here. I mean, is that something that you you look to take to the government to try and get some financial aid, given the increased cost to get downstream capacity or more downstream capacity built here? Thanks. Yeah, yeah, look, apologies for the technical side. Um, look, first part of your question, Hayden, um, Yes, we are. Look, we're looking um, to expand beyond the joint ventures um, in our own right, um, both in Australia and internationally. Um, and we're also looking, obviously, we're expanding um, uh, Mount Marion. Um, that was a, a fairly easy um, arrangement to come to with Gangfang. And, and we will be growing um, Wajana. And the way we will grow Wajana, it will be First of all, we want to make sure we've got conversion capacity in front of us. So that's a combination of um, what we're applying to buy in China, downstream processing in China, um, and, and hopefully um, being able to, um, to, to build in Australia. And we, we do need government help. Otherwise, we're simply not going to get our joint venture partners in Australia. But it is incredibly um, positive to, um, to Australia if we can get those plants done here. I mean, we're keen to do it ourselves, but we can't get it done on our own. And the, the, the opportunities that are being offered by the UK and um, Europe and, and US is um, very significant. But again, you know, it's more than worth them doing it. Okay, great. Thanks for that. Thank you. Your next question comes from Khan Pekka with Royal Bank of Canada. Please go ahead. Uh, morning, Chris, uh, Mark and team. Um, following on with the same line of questioning, just on, on finalising that uh, JV agreement, with regards to downstream processing, uh, of the 100,000 tonnes uh, of capacity, I think 75 was outlined. Um, where's the other 25 capacity coming from? That'll be basically um, extra capacity that um, Albemarle will probably build. Um, they've, we've simply got an arrangement with them where they're going to provide. 
that 100,000 tonnes as it's required. So not quite privy to all of their plans. And firstly and secondly, um, we have to have the approval of the Chinese government before we can go and um, give out information that's confidential. Sure, understood. Um, but is there, is there a certain region that's been considered or that's not really been provided yet? Look, Albemarle have plans locked away on what they're going to do. Um, we are, and then and outside of that, we are considering other regions as well. Um, we, we're going to do some um, study work on that. Uh, but they have um, they have a fairly clear understanding of uh, of how they're going to convert that. Sure, thanks. And the second one is more around the opportunity of uh, lowering grade. Um, uh, of spodumene concentrate or hodgenite. I think there's a present, uh, slide in the presentation that mentions it. Suggests sort of 10 to 12 percent uplift in recovery. Um, is this something Min uh, plans to go ahead with, and does it need sign-off from Albemarle? Thanks. Yeah, look, we ha we have an agreement with um, Albemarle on that, and we've actually started that now. So as of I think um, early January. We went into the uh, the five and a half percent range, and and that you know obviously just gives us better recoveries overall. Sure, thank you. I'll pass it on. Thank you. Your next question comes from Lachlan Shaw with UBS. Please go ahead. Yeah, morning, Chris and Mark. Um, well done again on the um, finalisation of the JV. Um, just a couple. Uh, from me, so just um, on Onslow, the uh, the pushback to mid 24. Um, can you just sort of run through that again? I might have missed earlier in the call, um, but what's driving that pushback in timing, please? Um, purely around um, approvals. A approvals have been much much slower than we anticipated, and the reason for that is that um, look over the last two years or so and almost as a direct result of COVID um, the department's been or the departments, the agents, government agencies have been shorthanded on people. That's half created by the mining companies. The mining companies have been stealing the government people um, so they've been running shorthanded and it's simply taking um, two to two and a half times longer to get um, approvals done whether that be through mines, environment or anywhere than it was, you know, going back in 2020. So um, all our studies um, had the right times in them. Um, we just didn't um, we didn't understand that um, the time lag that it was going to take. So, but they're all in hand. I mean, we've been getting um, a lot of support from government, um, from the ministers, um, the departments. Everyone wants the project to go ahead. It's just taking much longer than we, we, we anticipated. We, we expected to be well into the whole road now um, and we're not. We're, we're just waiting on that final approval on that to come through. So that's sitting out for public comment at the moment and by about um, look end of March we should be um, on the move. We have been um, given uh, the go ahead on certain areas so we've got early works going on up there in a range of areas at the moment. So we're hoping we can pull that back from that, but um, we want to give you the, the most likely news. Okay, great, thanks. And then just um, second question. So given given that, um, 
would that have any impact on potential timing of studies on the fourth train um, at Wajina? And I guess, how should we think about timing there um, in any case, given that you know, you've just finalised the, uh, the JV restructure, um, the agreement to go to 5.5% done. You know, how should we think about that timing and the studies in that fourth train at Wajina? Thanks very much. Yeah, look, I think um, we're only probably a couple of months away from um, finalising the fourth train study. And I, mean, I think the decision on that will be fairly quick. But, but the answer is yes, that um, if I was building that in 2019 or 2020, um, I would think it would be a, a 12 to 15 month build. Um, today it's more like a two year build. So um, it's probably at least two years away. Um, and and that we've got other issues surrounding that as well because we've got to make sure now that we've got uh, all the changes that are going on with the traditional landowners. Uh, but I mean, our relationship out there is very strong. but. Um, we've got to make sure that we've got all of those new agreements in place. So, um, again, a lot of work to do around that. Thank you. Your next question comes from Glenn Lawcock with Baron Joey. Please go ahead. Uh, good morning, Chris. Um, Chris, look, you've, I guess, essentially enabled Albemarle to get their capital out of China and relocated back into Australia, and you've done the reverse. Um, how, how comfortable are you, you know, that putting all this capital into China? I think since the JV discussion started, I think the, the landscape has probably changed a little bit. So I'm just interested in your thoughts on how you're thinking about that, because, you know, we saw what happened with Russia and assets there became worthless. So I'm just wondering how you think about China. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's a really good question. I mean... Um, our relationship with our Chinese partners and um, has always been incredibly strong, um, but you know the issues surrounding um, the uh, how would you say it? the issues surrounding the cultural difference between the two countries is quite quite strong. Um, we are concerned. We've had long discussions with Albemarle around um, around that issue. Um, and we look the the returns that we get out of these plants in China is seriously significant. Um, um, the, the payback is incredibly quick. So we think for a number of years, three or four years out, I think we're, we're relatively safe. We've, we've looked at it on a, on a short-term investment basis, and, and it's more than worth doing that rather than taking the time to go build somewhere else. I mean. It, it's one of the issues that's kind of sort of slowed MinRes down. I mean, I think you're an American company. I think it's the risk is somewhat less, um, but it is easy for um, Australian products, as we've seen with coal and um, wine and wheat and barley and the, and the likes. Um, it's fairly easy to turn Australia off. So it's a concern, but it's a calculated risk, and I, I think that... Um, the payback is going to be significant. The other, other yeah, no, I get it. Glenn, it's Mark. Hi. The other point I'd add is, obviously, we're talking about pretty strategic minerals going into China, and there's, there's big demand for it inside China. So we think it's a sort of a symbiotic relationship. There's, there's no real alternative for them. 
Yeah, I, I get that. I just, you know, I look at what the market did to the value of Russian assets as well when things go, go pear-shaped. Just a second question, if I could, just, just to clarify. You talked about, I think, to answering Lachlan's question, you know, you hopefully have by end of March the permit for the Onslow Road. Is that is that a critical date, like to make June, well, middle of 24, or what is the critical date for the for the road so you don't slip again on Onslow? I think we, we really need to have that look, end of June would be um, probably a, a date that would push the following, uh, push the project out. Um, we've, we've got a lot of support in getting those approvals through and it's gone pretty well so far. I'm being fairly optimistic on the fact that it, it's probably going to be trouble free but look, it is possible it could be as long as end of June before we get it and, and the guys in the planning have counted the end of June as being the date. So. Um, all going well and we got it sooner you know we would have some good news on first or on ship all right appreciate it thanks chris thank you your next question comes from alex wren with credit swiss please go ahead uh morning chris uh, mark and team um yeah really good to uh, finally see that deal coming through with alma uh just a couple from me please and just look at the capex guidance could you uh, give us a bit more color or a clarification on the you know lithium growth capex jump is that mainly just because of incorporating the um that the, the downstream jv deposit or some you know is there other reasons like inflation um gearing up for which are training three and four um, i'll come back on the second one it's it's incorporating hi alex it's mark it's incorporating the um the Wajina jv or the australian jv restructure and the the expectation that we're going to be paying 350 million US sometime this half. I mean, the capex has jumped. Um, I think rough calculation is like 500 mil. Um, this is you know the previous guidance, right? That's Aussie. Yeah. What's the other part? 350, 350 US is the commitment. Yeah. 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 Converse to uh, Aussie, right? Yeah. yeah. Got it. And um, next question is just on the downstream hydroxide part uh, with Elmar, that change all of oxygen plant will start processing, you know, uh, spot me from early 24. Um, presumably, you know, during the interim, they're, they're mostly processing their own products uh, with some volume reserved um, for, you know, polling um, uh, your share. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to ask here is that, you know, does Elmar have, um, have enough polling capacity allocated to Min? Uh, considering the upstream, you know, just ramp, rapidly ramping up, right? Understandably, your part uh, of the deal is to ship the rock to them. Um, just wondering if there are any, uh, if there's any you know, discussion internally uh, about a potential contingency uh, if they can't accommodate your your uh, sponsoring volume. Yeah, look, they've um, they've give us um, a fairly detailed plan on uh, for, for um, all of this calendar year. And um, look, they appear to have um, all of the um, capacity locked away that's required. Um, they've been working on this for, for quite some time. So, um, yeah, it, it, we've, we're fairly confident with that. Yeah, understood. Uh, that's great. Great to hear. Um, that's it from me. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from Matthew Friedman with MST Financial. Please go ahead. Sure, thanks. Morning, Chris and Mark. Um, I had two questions. Uh, firstly, uh, I suppose on, on funding and capital, you've already got a pretty sizable project pipeline, which, which obviously you've, you've now added uh, the capital for additional conversion capacity. 
you probably accelerated your plans in the Perth Basin with taking out North West. Um, you know, you're talking about potential offshore mining services projects, uh, you know, among many, many other things. Uh, at the end of the half, gearing obviously quite high relative to history at 20 percent, uh, you know, 0.8 times net debt to EBITDA. So wondering, firstly, you know, what, what are your upper limits around the balance sheet? Where are you willing to take the balance sheet to fund this growth? And, and how does that shape your, your, your options for funding going forward? Hi, Matthew. Uh, so it's not that long ago we were over three times gross, um, gross to EBITDA, um, yeah, gross debt to EBITDA, and we've we've said consistently that we'll invest where we see great opportunities that'll deliver that 20 to 25 percent after-tax return. We when we make those decisions, we we look closely at payback period. We look at our, our balance sheet, our capacity. Um, we're comfortable with where the balance sheet is today. We expect the operating cash flow to be strong in this second half and uh, even stronger the following half. So uh, we're going to generate considerable cash from operations. We know that we're investing heavily, but as Chris said, we're doing that to build 30 to 50 year businesses. So uh, to, you know, to sum up, we're happy to go above three times gross if we, if we see that opportunity, but as we've said to our debt investors, we do it where we expect to see it delever relatively quickly. Onslow on completion will have a fantastic position on the cost curve. We'll generate reasonable earnings from mining services perspective once that's turned on. So all of this is manageable. Thanks, Mark. Um, just following up on that, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when you did get up to three times net debt to EBITDA, um, that was followed pretty soon after with a, a pretty sizable sell-down of Wodgina. So is, is that the, the type of thing that you'd be considering, you know, post-completion of Onslow or, or, or any other project in order to, to to get leverage back to where you want it to be? I, I was talking about the three times gross that we just recently went to, but um, in terms of in terms of assets, we, we have no plans today to sell or dispose any of the portfolio, but yeah, we look at it from a portfolio perspective and we'll, we'll keep monitoring from and reassessing from time to time. Yeah, got it. Thanks, Mark. Um, secondly, interested in the opportunities that Chris touched on uh, in terms of uh, offshore for mining services. Uh, understanding, obviously, you guys won't be able to provide many specifics, but just wondering, you know, how do you think about uh, the commodity spectrum, I guess the jurisdictional uh, challenges or, or, or risks, uh, you know, w w what's attractive? Uh, clearly, Min has a lot of internal capability in lithium and iron ore, uh, and in terms of jurisdictions, you know, Canada or, or North America seem to be a, a pretty low hurdle for uh, Australian companies. So are they the target markets to be thinking about for CSI, or, or is, that, is that off base? Uh, not exactly tier one countries we're looking at um, but we think uh, look we think certainly the risk is very manageable um, can't say a lot about it at the moment but um, uh, it's not we've always stayed pretty much stuck to Western Australia because we really can get as much growth out of it as we could afford to uh, to turn on but I mean our size now is getting um, beyond Western Australia and, and we've got some of these innovative um, pieces of kit that we've got um, are fairly highly sought after um, 
most of the big miners don't want to own it or operate it. They they uh, they see us as being much more nimble. But um, look, it's we're going to put our toe in the water almost certainly and and go and do a at least one sizable project. Um, and uh, we'll find out. I mean, uh, we do understand too that some of these jurisdictions. I mean. Um, a number of Australian companies have been out in them before and, and some of them have succeeded and some have failed. But um, I think we have to expand outside of WA sooner or, or later. And uh, if we feel like we can manage the risk, we're going uh, to give it a shot. Got it. Thanks, Chris. Um, do you need to see better margins in order to take on that risk for an offshore project? Um, not necessarily. I mean, we're fairly happy. I mean, one of the things that we do really, really well is that um, we really keep our margins consistent, you know, in good and bad times. And our, our clients know and customers know that. So they know exactly what service they're going to get from us. And, you know, if there's an opportunity to bump our rates up, we just don't do that. We're, we're extremely consistent with it. So um, I think... Our reputation is a very good, safe contract, safe and with our people and, and safe that will always deliver. I mean, that's something that's really important. That's why they want us. So, I mean, we've got to provide a service to our customers if we want a long-term relationship and, you know, all that boring stuff that people don't like to hear. But, you know, we've got to be consistent. Um, we've got to deliver. And um, y you just can't rip them off. And... If I can, gr I've grown the business in that way for 30 years, and you know I'll keep doing it. Understood. Thanks for all the detail, Chris, and and thanks also, Mark. My pleasure. Thanks. Thank you. Your next question comes from Alexander Papanow with City. Please go ahead. Hi, Chris and Mark. Just one from me. Following on from your comments regarding no legacy contracts and no forward contracts for the downstream product in the JV, can you give some more colour as to how you envisage pricing and marketing would go going forward, especially given your discussions with OEM? Thanks. Yeah, look, um, we're basically um, going to market our product uh, based on indices. I mean, we've always done that, so um, I don't like to hedge um, the dollar. I don't like to hedge our product, so... I, my intention is always to have it floating on um, on a couple of the indices that are out there, and, and the indices on lithium have become quite reliable over the last sort of 12 or so months, and uh, not too different to the way we, we deal with um, our iron ore. And in terms of discussions with OEM, is that likely to change the way you deal with marketing? No, I don't think so. I don't, I, you know, it just, I, I just don't want to go and lock in prices because um, I'd rather it floated um, and I don't want to take that risk. I mean, we take the risk on the mining side and the, the OEMs, will, um, they'll have to take their risk on, on the supply-demand curve. Yep, all right. Thanks. Thank you for that. Thank you. We'll now move to the webcast questions. Your first question comes from Adrian Prentergast with Morgan's Financial. With Wadengina continuing to ramp up smoothly, has it increased your view on where full nameplate capacity sits? Uh, 
No, no. I, I think, look, if anything, um, hard rock mining on a worldwide scale is in its infancy. And uh, I think our team are getting to understand um, different opportunities with the plant. So, look, I think that there's, there's no doubt there's an opportunity to get the plant to produce more than nameplate. But, I mean, that's got to be done in conjunction with you know, water supply, tails, dams, um, a whole range of things. The mine plan, I mean, the mine planning around um, lithium mine is very, very different to um, iron ore. You've got to know exactly sort of what's out ahead of you and you've got to make sure we've got that blend coming in right. So it's complicated. But look, the answer is that I think there is no doubt these plants will produce more than nameplate. Um, and I also think that train four is likely going to be a bigger version of train one, two and three. Thank you. Your next question is a phone question from Raul Anand with Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Oh, hi, Chris and Mark. Thanks for the opportunity. Um, look, uh, first one uh, perhaps uh, for you, Chris, just around marble. I wanted to understand, obviously, you've got now two downstream conversion contracts available, uh, one with Gansung and uh, the other Albemarle. Just wanted to understand what some of the other um, you know, perhaps covenants, if any, are. I mean, can you go and build conversion capacity per se independently without asking either of the two parties? Do they have first right of refusal? Is there any geography involved in any of these contracts, i.e., you know, if you're building a plant, let's say in China, that you have to be with a certain party out of the two? Um, um, no, that's my first question. Okay, look, the answer to that is, um, um, Generally, no. So with Gangfang, no. Um, we have made a commitment jointly with Albemarle. Um, we, are, we want the, uh, on exactly where the, the first 100,000 tonnes coming out of Wajina goes because you simply need to do that to have the planning and the, the build and, and the capital. Um, but beyond that, we're looking um, together on where to build the next plant, but we're not committed that we have to build it together. So, for example... Uh, if we do a study on building one in Wajina and one wants to build it there and one doesn't, then one can do it independently of the other. And is there a, a first right of refusal in terms of you building that plant or uh, you can do that without asking them, basically? No, no. what we want to do is we want to be good JV partners um, and we want to work together wherever we can. I mean, that's our first um, objective, but... If one decides that it's better that they build a plant, I don't know, in in the States and we want to build at Wajina, we have the right to sit down and have that conversation and then for us to go ahead and um, build where we want. Understood, okay. Um, and just one follow-up there, Chris. In terms of the, the Chinese plants, is it fair to think that your marketing team is going to target the domestic Chinese market for that product and some of the other Western suppliers, perhaps you're going to look to build conversion capacity outside China like we're seeing in the industry? I think, yeah, look, generally speaking, yes. I think you're right on both of those. Um, but in saying that too, I mean, there is there's equal opportunity for us to be able to market that product outside of China as well. Um, both of them have sort of got hooks and barbs with them. I mean, when you send product out of China, you're subject to a VAT. 
um, when you sell it internally, then you know it, it's a, a process to get the cash out. So, I mean, we'll be looking for a number of reasons to balance those sales as well, but some of it to do with cash flow. Understood. Okay, and one for, for Mark, please. Uh, Mark, uh, just uh, wanted to follow up on that debt question a bit. Um, can you maybe perhaps help us understand some of the covenants around the debt that currently exists? I mean, where can you take the balance sheet to, perhaps in terms of net debt to EBITDA, gearing, interest cover? Like, what type of metrics should we be looking at um, and, you know, be, be making informed decisions around, you know, any sort of commodity volatility and how that might impact the balance sheet. Thanks. Hi, Raul. Uh, so we have a, a senior facility which is undrawn, which is effectively a $400 million line, which um, has traditional sort of debt-type covenants. The, um, the bonds that we have in place, the key issue is that we pay the interest. If we pay the interest, we're okay. There are other restrictions in terms of dividends and so on. They cap, cap the ability to pay dividends in certain circumstances and so on. Um, you know, if we if we start, well, if we start to have problems with the interest payment, basically. But that's it. So we, one of the attractions of the debt package that we've got in place is the flexibility it's given us. Understood. That's very helpful, both. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ron. Thank you. There are no further questions at this time. I'll now hand back to Mr. Ellison for closing remarks. Okay, thanks. Um, look, thanks everyone. Thanks for uh, coming online. Thanks for um, all your support during the year. Um, we're um, on a roadshow on uh, Monday, Tuesday at Sydney and Melbourne, so we'll catch up with a lot of you there, and um, no doubt you'll have some more questions by then. But uh, look, thanks for coming online today, and thanks for your time, and uh, we'll see you all shortly. Good morning. <laughs>